zero people who will be listening to this. It'll be, uh, it'll be recorded now. Um, so, stand in this way. What we've seen this way is, uh, is in, as we saw in verse 21, in hope. Uh, our world might have some optimism, right? Maybe things will get better. We have some sort of generic hope and progress, whatever that might be. But Christians don't, don't live with a kind of optimism. It's not that kind of hope. It's, it's confident hope. It's expectation. Uh, we have hope that things will be set right. This is how Paul is going to call them to rejoice in the midst of their suffering. It's not, hey, you know, chin up, maybe things will get better. It's, no, we have hope that things will be made right, that things will be transformed. The world does not know this kind of hope. But those of us in Christ who believe that He has risen from the dead, that He has defeated sin and death, we have hope. We have hope. And therefore, because we have this hope, He can call us to stand firm. Despite uh, the opposition and the suffering they might face, despite the way that their society might view them as, um, as delusional or as um, twisted, not worshiping the gods, whatever it might be, no, we can stand firm in this hope. Verse 2, and uh, I'm thankful that Hilton's going to talk more about conflict resolution, uh, maybe both inside and outside the church, but uh, verse 2, I plead with uh, Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contented, contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. So who these women are, we don't uh, exactly know. One fourth century writer, at least according to a commentary I read, Chrysostom says they are uh, leaders of the church there in Philippi, uh, which might be the case. Um, he calls them to be of the same mind. Now, if we plug verses out of context, we're going to mishear this, and we might go back into uh, our Church of Christ roots from 50 years ago, where same mind means you know, exact uniformity about all things from how many cups you use at communion to whether you have a kitchen in the building or not. Uh, but what he says here is it's the same mind in the Lord. This is a crucial phrase, same mind in the Lord. Same phrase he uses in chapter 2, verse 2. And what he shows them to have the same mind in the Lord is that lordly kind of mindset uh, where one practices humility. Remember what I just read in chapter 2 about though he was God or precisely because he's God, this is what he does. Having that same mind in the Lord is not about uniformity of thought in all things, but it's about humility of thought, humility of perspective, humility of pursuit. And that is uh, part of the heart of their conflict resolution here. So uh, in verse 3, we have all this language in Greek. You get uh, this prefix, uh, which might be like our English co. So four times. Uh, he talks about uh, co-yoke fellows, someone wearing the same yoke, co-helpers, co-strugglers, co-workers. Uh, Hilton called our attention uh, before we started even studying Philippians to partnership language. For Paul, as he's writing to the church, he's saying, like, we bear the same yoke. We work together helping one another. We struggle together. Uh, we work for the same goals. This is what koinonia is like. This is part of the nature of the gospel. Uh, and uh, Paul will go on to say, that these women at the end of verse 3, their names are in the book of life, which is a way of saying, even in their conflict, this isn't a salvation issue. So, again, if we think of some of our Church of Christ roots, um, and I grew up in Columbia, Tennessee, and though I didn't grow up Church of Christ, I went to a Church of Christ high school, and they had, um, they had some very um, 
what's the word I'm looking for, divisive kind of, of roots. It was kind of the unhealthy side of things where it was either total uniformity or division. And that is not what's happening here. Paul is saying, look, this isn't salvation issue. Their names are written in the book of life. This is something, something else. This is something where you could agree to disagree. Part of our problem, I think, is, is uh, we don't always know what is a place where we can agree to disagree. Uh, we have maybe lost touch um, uh, in the church, maybe in the Western church, with, with what is central stuff. Where can we say, yeah, this is what it means to be a Christian. We have to hold on to these things. We can't, we can't uh, hold these loosely. Like, what are those essentials? And what are things where we can say, hey, look, we're going to practice humility here and agree to disagree on this. And I think our, um, our gaps in that are, uh, are problematic. I've actually asked Lauren uh, in an upcoming um, semester here teaching to do a class on orthodoxy and heresy where we can discuss some of these things. Here's, here's what the church has, has regarded as central from the very beginning. Here's where the church draws a line in the sand. And how do we update that for today? I think it's an important, an important conversation, especially um, as a postmodern kind of mentality or framework is kind of sweeping over uh, our culture, where anything goes is the way to deal with conflict. There's no need to have conflict because nothing matters. That's not what Paul is saying. Some things absolutely matter. Some things you can agree to disagree, and we should know what those are. All right, about three more minutes to cover some of this, uh, which is okay. Four through nine is what we'll get to. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Um, he can say this because he has a different way of viewing things. He can rejoice, call people to rejoice in suffering because he knows that through Christ's suffering, suffering victory was, was won. Um, Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I think Gordon Fee gets the language here right. It's not, um, or we should think of this as gentle forbearance. So in the midst of their suffering, they still have strength, but it's a gentle kind of strength. This isn't this um, absolutely passive kind of you never, uh, you kind of just you know, get stomped on, whatever. It's a, it's a merciful strength that bears witness to the culture around them uh, of a different reality. Um, Paul talks about in chapter 2, verse 15, uh, you shine like stars in a crooked generation. As we bear the humility and the mercy and the strength, we can't overlook the strength, that gentle forbearance of Christ, we might shine like stars and point to a different reality. Because the Lord is near, not only in a maybe time perspective, but proximity. He is close. He is not distant. This is not a deistic God who kind of set things going and then backed off. This is a God who is near, who will provide us with the peace that passes understanding, both as individuals and in a community. Verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So Stoicism was a pretty popular um, uh, worldview or philosophy way of life. And so they would say, don't be anxious because they're kind of nihilist, because nothing really matters. There's nothing you can do about it. That is not the Christian perspective. There are things that really matter. There are things to really rejoice about. There are things that are really worth putting hope in. And Paul can even talk about there are things to really grieve. This isn't stoicism where nothing matters and you can't do anything about it. Rather, it's, it's uh, you don't need to be anxious because there is a God who is near, who is in control, who will make all things right, even the things that seem broken. Uh, so even though there might be overlapping ideas with Stoicism, it's based on a whole different reality. It's not nihilism because nothing matters. It's hope 
because there is a God who is making all things right. Now, let me admit this is easier said than done. I deal with anxiety in ways I didn't even realize. Uh, even recently, I had uh, this kind of prayer counseling experience um, where it was brought to my attention uh, in this prayer experience about how much I deal with, with chronic back and neck pain, about how much of the tension that I bear back here is related to uh, my sense of fear and anxiety, that I can never let go of that stress. Um, and uh, as I kind of prayed with this person and uh, he led me through some counseling, um, I realized how much I was dealing with anxiety just about my family. I mean, here are people who I love so much and I care so deeply about and I want, I want to be in control of their safety, right? I want to make sure that they're going to be okay uh, and I, I can't. And, um, and I think I just bear, bear the weight of stuff like that. And uh, these are places where I don't need to be anxious because it's just an illusion of control that I have and uh, I need to trust God with that. So easier said than done. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right, Hilton, tell us about... Okay. I sent out the reminder email. I, I said there's some profound things in this chapter. And I think one of the most profound is this uh, two through uh, three short verses. Uh, Paul urging his fellow companion, whoever that might be, some think it's Epaphroditus when he goes back, to really work with these two ladies to settle their dispute. Some of the most famous feuds that you may have ever heard of. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, there's a big Broadway play now about Hamilton. But what was one of Hamilton's weaknesses? His temper and his ego. And it wound up doing what? Getting him killed because he fought a duel with Aaron Burr. They feuded over political races of all things. One supported one candidate, one supported another. They wrote under pseudonyms attacking one another politically. They feuded and wound up in a duel across the river because duels were illegal in New York. They rode across the river to New Jersey and fought a duel and Alexander Hamilton came back mortally wounded and died in his home in New York City, Manhattan. The Hatfields and McCoys Great families, uh, Hatfields in West Virginia, the McCoys in Kentucky. Uh, I don't know if they ever even knew what the feud started over during the Civil War. Uh, the uh, Hatfields supported the Confederacy, the McCoys uh, supported the Union. It finally led to bloodshed. One family attacked the other. I don't even know which one. Violence finally in the late 1890s, it ended when the government stepped in and said, you've got to stop this. We're going to put all of you in jail. But think of the feuds that you might know about. How many of you have ever had someone in your family who would refuse to talk to another member of your family? Oh, no one? Come on, <laughs> lighten up. I do one. Okay. I have two nephews that will not speak with them. And what did it start over? You didn't even know? Uh, I think they know. I'm not sure. I've heard a lot from both yeah. sides. So yeah. Now, those of you in your family, if you know them individually, what do you think of them? Oh, good people. Love you love them both. Uh, Sally and I knew a person in another city when we lived, we lived in a lot of cities. Uh, but this was a lovely couple. 
and we were very close with them. She was estranged from her mother for almost 15 years and had almost nothing to do with her mother. And it all started at a conversation over the Thanksgiving meal when they were talking about what they were going to do for Christmas. And her mother got incensed and uh, it led to an estrangement. And, and essentially the, the mother, the grandmother being not having a real relationship with the grandchildren. Conflict, again, as Josh said here, if, if you're in the Lord, this is not right for Christians to have this going on in their lives. It's not right. And so, having an attitude of putting Jesus in between, even if you're right, it's not worth it, is it? Even if the other party is wrong, it's not worth it. So, so he says, please help them sell it. Because he talks about how good they were. You know, he starts off by praising them. That's usually the way, uh, the first step is, you've got some good qualities in both of them. So please come together and help settle this. All of you who served as elders other places, or even here, you know this is some of the most delicate things you have to deal with in the church. Sometimes the relationships get all cloudy. Uh, you talk about worry. The difference between concern and worry is a very fine line. But you know, my mother uh, used to use the word anxious to mean eager. Say, I'm anxious to go to town. And she was not worried about going to town. That was a colloquial, you know, in, the, in our language, if you use a word long enough to mean something, well, guess what? They change the dictionary to agree with you, right? But she would say, I'm anxious to go see somebody. I'm anxious to go to town. She didn't mean that. She meant eager. But anxiety is when you're so concerned you've got a knot in your stomach and you've got a knot in your back and it becomes destructive. Now this morning at the breakfast table, we prayed that our uh, my son and daughter-in-law and two of, their, two of their children will be in the car driving back from Auburn, Alabama. Pardon me. <laughs> driving back from Auburn, Alabama. And it will be. And it will be in the rain. It'll be in the rain, it's stormy, and I'm concerned that they don't, you know, it'll be bad conditions. But I'm hopeful that I'm not letting it, <laughs> and I text them every 30 seconds to see they're okay. I'm going to trust God to see them through, and I'm going to assume that's going to happen. But anxiety can be destructive. Concern can lead you to take action. If you see that you're concerned about a child, who has a particular need, and that leads you to get help for that child, whether it be medical, psychological, educational, whatever it is, that leads you to action that can help. If you simply sit down, oh, I'm so worried about it, I don't know what to do, and it ties you in knots, who does that help? It doesn't help anybody. It be very destructive uh, for yourself. Uh, the list uh, again. Don't don't worry about. It. Tell God what you need, verse six, and thank Him for what He has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace. That's the way to peace. The peace is if you want the peace that passes all understanding. Express your needs to God. Thank Him for what He's done, and then 
Do what you can, but turn it over to Him. That's when you get the peace. Uh, then verse 8. Uh, thinking on, uh, you know, Second Peter 1 talks about now add to your faith this and add to this. It's really kind of a work kind of thing. You know, as a Christian, you're supposed to grow. But this is a very profound concept here. All these honorable things. Think about true things. Think about dignified things, just things, pure things, lovely things. Our minds are going to be full of something. If you've got, you know, if you're if you're at work, typically you're you're going to be focused on work. But even at work, sometimes your mind wanders. Those of you who do commute to work, have you ever gotten to work sometimes and realized that you've been there for an hour and you don't remember a single thing that happened on the way in? You don't remember what traffic lights you stopped at, or whether you stopped when you should have or not. You know, what was I thinking about? If you're sitting alone at night, you have some time to relax. What are you thinking about? There's a person arrested, a teacher in some school this week I saw in Tennessee, and arrested at thousands of child pornography images on his computer. Letting his mind get filled up with that. Crowded out. Good thing. Apparently, if you're struggling with a, with a problem, here's Paul's solution. Fill your mind up with good stuff. If you've got a weakness, work at filling your time with good things. Read good books. Look at good, good shows talk with good people, get the bad people out of your life, get the bad uh, interludes out of your life, and that's the way to be a true growing Christian. In verse 9, he talks about following his example. Now, Paul wasn't in Philippi all that long, but he says, uh, I'm glad imitate what I taught, uh, take to heart what I taught you, what I modeled for you, and <coughs> One commenter said, Who among us can, can say to our friends, Okay, model my behavior. Take everything I've ever taught you or demonstrated to you in, in my life and, and, and imitate that. But Paul confidently said that. He said it back up in uh, 317 as he said, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow my example. So he's pretty confident that he's doing God's will. Okay, in my section. Come back and correct all your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, not correct. They just added to it. Right? <laughs> added, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. As bad as it was, we recovered. <laughs> all right, verse 10 through 13. As he talks about how grateful I am, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. Again, the language here in the original Greek language is back to that partnership concept again. I'm glad you've renewed your partnership with me. Uh, and, and he, he uh, talks about uh, here, once again, the Philippians have renewed their support. So we've learned in other places that they sent support more than one time, several times. They sent help several occasions. And in 11 through 13, uh, this concept that Paul had, he's learned to be not necessarily self-sufficient, He's learned to be God-sufficient. 
because he said, I've, I've had to learn, he says, I have learned to deal with little. I can get by with little food, little weight in the way of physical comfort, or I can be comfortable living a good life. All I can eat, comfortable surroundings. But he says, I can only do that through God who strengthened me. You know, as a, as a child, uh, we didn't have a lot. <clears throat> you know, when it gets back to it, you don't need a lot. It's nice to have a lot, but with with a lot, when you have a lot, it's a lot of work. You got to figure out how to take care of your lot and preserve your lot. And, uh, so it takes work. And Paul says, through God. I'm able to do this. Of course, he's already been beaten, jailed, and he's life he left shipwrecks. He had, and you know, he had conflict, John Mark. But they reconciled later. John Mark, on another uh, journey, they reconciled and were again working together as a good example of reconciliation. <coughs> But to say in verse 13, for I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me strength, that is a mark of maturity uh, I think we all aspire to. Uh, but we don't all achieve it. And then verse uh, 15 says, As you know, you were the only ones who gave me financial help when I brought the good news. Uh, again, this partnership imagery. Uh, David, he's saying, you were like angel investors. You know, when you're starting a new enterprise, early stage investors are sometimes the hardest ones to get, right? Because it's the highest risk. The highest risk to get rid of. So they won't control, right? But, uh, but when, you're, when you're needing seed capital, sometimes you have to, you have to take on but they had been beneficial to him. They kept renewing that support. So he's grateful for them. So even when I was in Thessalonica, you said help more than once. And he says, I don't say this because I want more gifts. I'm not just trying to flatter you in order to get more gifts. What I want is for you to receive a well-earned reward. So he's saying, I hope, hope that you realize you're going to be appreciated by God for what you've done. And he alludes to that even more in the next verse. As he says, at the moment I have all I need, more than I need, I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent by Epaphroditus. And here the imagery of the Old Testament enters. He says, they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice. Um, nothing quite like smelling barbecue in the pit. <laughs> they weren't smelling that. They weren't. Well, but <laughs> I'm going back to the imagery. Brisket, they can smell brisket. I'm going back, I'm going back to the imagery. Where, where is Mitch, Mitch Edgeworth's not in, but Mitch, Mitch Edgeworth is a amateur barbecue person, and you own, you've been involved with barbecue, though. Nothing quite that smell. And, and I, I, I smell all that meat they were burning up in the Old Testament. I'm like, mm-hmm, that's a sweet smell. I can relate. He says, they are sweet and acceptable to God that pleases Him, and this same God who takes care of me will supply your needs from His glorious riches. And then, now glory be to God, your Father, amen. 
And he sends greetings. He says, even including the Christians that are members of Caesar's household. So the gospel has permeated every level of society, although these may be servants, but even some people in Caesar's household have uh, are sending you greetings. So kind of a summary of the chapter. Notes of joy and celebration throughout, not just emotional joy, but deep and lasting that comes from the relationship with Jesus. Every day is not going to be a giddy, happy day. It's not. But we can, as he says, learn to deal with it. We can learn from Paul's approach to helping solve disputes. He praises both women. He asks them to be of the same mind of Jesus. And if you're in the same mind of Jesus, Jesus emptied himself and sacrificed himself for the benefit of everybody else. If you have that attitude, you will not be able to remain estranged from a fellow Christian and hopefully not even somebody at work who may be a pagan. Let everyone, including outsiders, see what you really are by being considerate. Verse, uh, verse 5. Being considerate to all people. Let everyone see who you really are by being considerate. And then the Lord is near. I think Paul really did believe that the Lord was imminently coming back and we are still waiting but it could be today. We need to have that faith that it is going to happen. Verse 6, few of us will find it easy not to worry about something. It's okay to be concerned. It's okay to let that concern lead to action on our part. But try to control it so that you place the burden on Jesus and leave, take the anxiety off yourself. Verse 8, the list of virtues, fix your thoughts, fill up your mind, don't let your, your mind be empty or something bad may creep into it. Think about good things. Verse 11, riches we get are from God, makes our lives sufficient no matter what our status. And then Paul says he's grateful. We should be grateful. And then... You know, that key concept in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, something we can all struggle with all of our lives. Any comments about anything we talked about this morning? You know, it, verse 8 really strikes me, and Trish and I were talking about this after the Las Vegas massacre. Mm -hmm. Just, you look at our situation, you look at that situation, you feel so helpless. Mm -hmm. You know, you weren't weren't there, you can't do anything about it. I said, well, we could be good. We could just be the exact opposite today. One day at a time, just be yeah. a good person and be the exact opposite of that. Yeah, those those kinds of events can lead you to be so distraught. You can get you can get, let it let it destroy you. We got a friend who uh, is worried about North Korea sending nuclear She's worried about the Middle East attack, terrorism. And, 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 you know, we can be concerned. Uh, but, but, yeah. It, it, he's, he's writing to people in imminent mm -hmm. of their very lives. You know, I, well, I wonder the same thing. But, you know, the Any other comments? Back row? You're not the back row, but it's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I read it. And, 
to me, the, this whole page here just seems to talk about fear. You know, you, to me, that's what anxiety and worry is. It's fear, <coughs> fear, no longer resentments and other things. I mean, that's what really tears you down and keeps you from growing and keeps you from acting and doing things, whether it's in your job or whether it's taking on other things. And then when he says, you know, um, pray and turn some things over to God and have trust that, you know, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go in a situation that may be awkward that I normally wouldn't do, but it's going to be okay. You know, you act and just put it on him and, and then have some peace. I'm going to be content. I'm not going to be afraid that I, I don't have more than somebody else. I'm not going to be afraid I don't have enough. And look, things worked out for you. I mean, it just seems to me, you know, I've seen that whole thing unfold. Um, it, it's a lot of it, maybe I just, a lot of it's about overcoming fear. I think you're right. Yeah. One, one okay. thing once. So, with this language, this co- Koinonia language throughout, um, we realize that Paul isn't writing to a bunch of individuals who are getting copies of this letter, but he's writing to the church as a whole. So he's calling people to rejoice, or to not be anxious, or to live in humility, or to shine like stars. All of that is to, to a community. And so as we hear, um, hear this, we hear this as we're partnering together in this. Um, so as I... Uh, as we're called to rejoice, we think, how do we rejoice together? As we're called to um, not be anxious, this isn't just me and God and my personal prayer dealing with my anxiety, but part of how we deal with this is in community. So this is why we have counselors, like in the back. Some of us need to talk to counselors, and this is how Christ helps us deal with some things that we can't fix on our own. Um, how do we deal with conflict? Well, sometimes it's not enough for just the two parties to get together, but we bring in the community to help us. So this is a this is a community-wide kind of process by community. I mean, the church-wide process of growing together as we pursue Christ-likeness, as we pursue humility, as we pursue learning how to rejoice in difficult circumstances, as we pursue seeking to be properly concerned and not anxious. We need each other in this, and this is not you and God fix this on your own, but this is uh, God is going to work through you and through the community to help us in this. Okay, next week... 